How's everybody? We good? Alo uno es straight, no cho? All right. All of you guys are good too? Yeah, we're good. This cat's in here on the front, man. He's like, yo, man, it's all good, baby. Right? Just preach, pastor, and don't make it boring, man. So good. I'm glad you guys are here. Yesterday was an ordeal for me, man. We all have ordeals in our lives, right? And so yesterday I was on the it was one of those issues where we had lots going on. You guys are coming in, trying to get to the airport stuff, and my truck just breaks down on this freaking bleak city highway, side of the road. And so when it happens, you know, you got buses going by. It's to- you re- you, there's no tow trucks in Belize City. If you call them, they just don't answer because it's Saturday. And so <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I have so much going on. Like, this is nuts. And the Lord's just like... I felt the overwhelming presence. The Lord's like, hey, I'm hijacking your day. Like, today's me and you day, so you need to deal with this. It was a unique experience to be able to go, not get upset, but say, okay, Lord, what do we have today? I have so much to do, but my mind is somewhere else. What do we do with this day? And you're stuck right there. Praise God, I was in this really cool. Real quick, though, I have to tell you that it, I was so grateful. It's the suck factor the meter was pegged red, right? It's hot, I'm all sunburned. But at the same time, I found myself in a, in a spot of gratitude with God. That this truck, it was a, it's an electrical issue. We figured out what's wrong with this. It's just going to take a few days to fix it. But it could have happened on Hallover Bridge. It could have happened on Coastal Highway. It could have happened somewhere where you are just, because it would not move. And so it happened in a spot and here's the deal. I met with eight mechanics yesterday. Hey, I know a guy. This is what I heard all day yesterday. Hey, I know a guy. Roger, let's get that guy here. Then that guy would come do something, and he'd go, hey, man, I know a guy. Well, here's the problem with I know a guy. Every guy that you know that knows a guy, you have to pay money to. <laughs> $350 later, the dude goes, we know a guy we probably should have called at first. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But the whole time, be able to share Jesus with those dudes. The whole time, every guy, every guy. Sharing Jesus as they're lighting up doobies. Like, no joke. Like, hey, you want to come to church? Yeah, man. And, I'm like, and I realized that the Lord's saying, hey, we're going to do the be grateful for where you're at for the reason and why I call you to be where you're at. Everyone else is going to, I've got everyone else taken care of. The 100 dudes coming through with all their tools are going to be taken care of. Just call Miss Greenwich, send the thing to Kenny. You don't have to be there. Like the magic isn't in you, John. The magic's in me. That's the key. I've got this thing. You do now what I'm focusing on you, I want you to do. And part of it is to stand in the sun. And in that, I met an individual, and I'll share, I can't share it here, but it it just, the whole process was a God day of this whole thing. And I was just like, okay, Lord. And then, you know, it was a quick turnaround, Woody and them guys being able to come up. And it's so funny, because one of the girls that was here at the leadership conference, in the call, Ella was laughing at this, my day of misery was her day of blessing, because she didn't have to ride a bus back up to the city. She could ride in the van with Woody coming up to get me, and she could rest in the Lord and sleep and have a great reunion with her husband. And so at the end of the whole thing, the day, 
you realize that the Lord's like, look, dude, you said yes to my call, so shut up and take it. That's how we should be as men, right? If you're all military guys, any of you all military? Sometime, well, get me started. Don't get me started there. Dang Marines, right? But anyhow, so it's good, and I'm grateful the Hans team is here, and now they're dispersed all over the country. Um, here's a dilemma that the Hans, I'll talk to Joe about it. Kenny's here, and David, and I'll, I'll deal with you guys alone in the house. You realize that now I have to deal with a country, leaders in a country that are going to figure out that you ain't coming back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So for a few years, the first few years, it was a pain in the butt trying to get them to understand that you're all coming in doing crazy stuff. Now they're all just expected. I go up to the airport, and they go, hey, when's those guys coming? Now I'm going to have to go, uh, they're not, right? So we'll deal with that later. Uh, we'll, I'm going to lock the door, and we'll deal with it that way. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. No, it's a blessing. The Hans team is a blessing, and they know what Hans is doing countrywide. Even the, the military is well aware of it and grateful for it. So thank you guys for what you do and that you're here. We just get to continue to just spread the gospel in unique, fun ways. Amen? We're in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 16, and we've been looking at Judges, give you a backdrop. Every name, every judge in the, in the Bible, in the book of Judges, their name has significance to it. So if you go all the way back, and every one of their names has a significance to Jesus Christ. The Judges are all a type of, of Christ. Now, they're still men, so they, they're sinful, but they're a type of Christ, of how Christ will come in and rescue a generation of people that have turned their backs to God. But their names are significant. Like sword. Shamgar, his name means sword. Jesus is sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes on and on. The lion. You, their names are, are, and it talks about what they've done to come in and rescue a people. When you look at it compared to Christ, it's what Christ has done for you and I. Samson is no different. And so we look at Samson is difficult for pastors to preach, honestly, because you're either going to preach, you're going to bypass all the sinful part and talk about how cool he was at the end and he crushed stuff, or you're going to talk just that, or you're going to try to bypass over him as fast as you can because he is, it is, it is problematic for our faith that he's a type of Christ, yet he was man. And he was sinful and did crazy things. Unless we look at it from, I believe, what the, what the writer and what God is trying to get us to look at is that God can take him by his Holy Spirit and live within a man and all his mistakes and continue to do great things that the Lord has called him to do, even things that Jesus has done, but he's not Jesus. Like you and I will never be Jesus. We will always be the sons of Jesus. Even when we get to heaven, we ain't God. We'll never be God. Just, it's not going to happen. But we inherit the kingdom and the sonship, the daughtership of Yahweh. That's what we get. So even in Samson's life, and here's the warning call. We'll hit it today. We've seen it with pastors. There is all kind of stuff happening. If, I don't know, man. I believe that we're living in the end of days. 
and dudes, and, and this isn't just because you guys are here, this church hears it all the time. The dudes better start waking up and acting like men. You better start being faithful to your wife. You better start being faithful to your kids. And you better start fighting for Christ. Because the enemy is in a full-scale war. And don't think that you can live a sinful life. Here's, here's the trap of Samson. If Samson can live a sinful life, yet God works through Samson in powerful ways to bring glory to himself, yet Samson is still living a sinful life. So Samson thinks he's okay. Because his sin is being looked over. He thinks. But Samson's sin is not being look, looked over. But God's plans will not be thwarted by your stupidity. You can hit the stupid button all freaking day long. And God's not, his plans will go, oh man. He's going to go, nope. I hold it to you. But I will be glorified in the saving life. How many pastors do we see fallen today? And the scandals that are taking place. And the scandals aren't just somebody saying gossip. There's, there is total legitimacy to the, some of these when you read into them and you just go, oh my gosh. You know, Lisa talks about the fear of God and it, it's so interesting that, and I shared this a little bit, Jim Baker, when, when John Brevere went in and met with Jim Baker, he didn't want to meet with Jim Baker. So Jim Baker asked him a simple question. He said, he said, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? Remember Jim Baker, Jim Baker went through that whole dilemma, all the money scandal, sleeping around, that whole thing. And he goes to John Bevere, I never fell out of love with Jesus. I just was no longer afraid of him. I didn't fear him. How many people are walking their lives like Samson, especially men? You, fear, you do not fear God. We're not talking about the type of fear that's trembling love a tyrant, but you're talking about the one who gives life. He can think you and I into existence or out of existence. Do you know that right now, this is how powerful God is. If God chose to have me disappear, I would be erased from the memory of all of everybody with no evidence to prove I ever existed by a mere thought. That's why the authors in the scriptures tell us that he thinks about us all the time with love and passion. He doesn't have ill thoughts for you and I. But this God, Yahweh, has the power to erase us from all history with a thought. How many times have you and I, as human beings, thought that way about God's creation? That's a good thing I'm not God, honestly. The moment someone did me wrong, I'd go, well, you're done. Right? You're done. Can you imagine that? A tyrannical God? So the fear isn't of a tyrannical God. The fear is of a God who loves us so passionately, he's not afraid of our stupidity. He actually loves us through it. That's the God I want to serve. That's the God I want to fight for. The Lord is a warrior and Yahweh is his name. And when I was grafted into him, as it says in Romans, as I was grafted into that family, he, I now have his blood by the shedding blood of Jesus Christ. I have a warrior's blood that flows through my veins that is kind and compassionate, but at the drop of the hat can fight and crush evil, and I don't have to be shamed by it. It's your kindness, Lord, that led me to redemption. 
he's gentle and loving, yet he's a fierce warrior. And we've been talking about that as we go through Judges. Listen, guys, it would have been horrific. We all think, oh, we teach it and think it's cool. It would have been horrific to see Jesus flipping tables and whipping people. Because he doesn't miss. You know how you're trying to spank your kids sometimes? They take off running and you're like, oh, man. Jesus don't miss, man. So when Jesus, some cat starts to take off running, he's got that whip. He's got that supernatural power. It may have only been like a foot and a half, two feet long, but he's hitting you at eight feet. So pow! Right? I personally believe that those who were whipped will see in heaven. The stinging, just like what's happened to you and I, sometimes the stinging love of Christ draws us into his ever-gentle, loving arms. Right? Embrace your scars. Don't accept your wounds. A scar is a reminder of a wound that is healed. Those whip marks, I think they stuck with everyone that, for, until they died, were a reminder that though the evil that they were doing in the house of prayer, they were able to accept Christ, have the opportunity, and be reminded that the loving God who could flip the tables and no one could do anything about it. You realize there was temple guard there? You realize that it, it's a fortress, right? None of them had the ability, the power, to be able to even touch Jesus when he did what he was doing. It, it, you got stung by that? You were like, uh, this is holy. Thank you for not killing me. It's, it's crazy. So we move into Samson here in verse 16, continuing on. We're talking about a generation that is moving away and says this. Samson went to Gaza. So he's wandering around. This cat is a strong dude. He can wander wherever he wants to wander in enemy territory. Now the reason why I bring that up is because we need to understand who we are in Christ, that you know you can wander where God tells you to wander and you can't be touched by the enemy? But do you realize the strength that you have? The problem with wandering is when you take your eyes off of Jesus, you do what he did. But he was secure in the strength, the vow that he had taken, or that he was thrust into. Okay? It says he, Simon, or Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute. Ah, the lure. The news got around. Samson's here. They gathered around in hiding, waiting all night for him at the city gate, quiet as mice, thinking at sunrise, we're going to kill him, man. We're going to ambush his cat. We're going to kill Samson once and for all. Right? We all heard this part of the story. We'll keep going with it. It says this. Samson was in bed with the woman until midnight. Then he got up, seized the doors of the city gate and the two gateposts, bolts and all, lifted them on his shoulder and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. All right? So Hebron is this major city. It's huge. It's this, you've got, now, there's two things. We're going to see a very seriousness, but you also got to see the humor of God here. Can you imagine, I've said this before, some people say it was just the doors. Talks about he hefted the city gates. So it depends on what historian you're speaking to. 
the gate had to be wide enough for carts and cattle to go through, so it's not a door. But there's a door within the gate. But it says that he took it all out, posts and all. So you've got to imagine Samson. Now, God has a sense of humor. What if Samson was a midget? Like, have you ever thought about this stuff? I, I, I think about stuff like this. Like, can you imagine if Samson was like a little dude, like a little midget dude? Right? Long hair. But here's the deal on this. It says that he ran until morning. So from midnight to morning, I think it was like 16 miles, if you do the math, on where he put the city gate. Can you imagine it's under the moonlight, God's sense of humor, you're a shepherd on the hill, you're just sitting there, you're sipping from your wine flask, it's been a long day, and all of a sudden you see this massive city gate in the moonlight with two little legs under it, because you have to be moving pretty fast to cover 16 miles, so it's not like he's staggered, this dude is like, you just see, like, you know what you do if you're the shepherd, you take the wine flask and go, uh-huh, I'm going to put that away for a little bit, man, we've had too much wine here. God has a sense of humor, man. He has a sense of humor. But the serious part of this is, let's go look at it historically, is Samson is mocking and humiliating the Philistines here. And here's how he's doing it. In Genesis chapter 22 and Genesis chapter 24, God speaking says to your inheritance, to you, I'm going to give you the gates of the city. No city will have anything over you. What Samson is saying spiritually is to seize a city gate was to control the entire city. Samson, when he ripped it out and ran off and placed it for them to see, said, I run your city. I control you. I control who comes and goes. I control the marketplace. I control you and the protection. You can't even protect yourself. It's a warning, even in Samson's sin, it's a warning from God to, to all the enemies of Israel saying, if you come to oppress my people, I will remove your city gates. And it may not be how you think. So he takes this dude, Samson, who just looks at the Philistines puts it up on there, how he does it without them knowing, they're camped out there, he just rips it out of the ground and takes it there and basically just says, I own you. Now, what significance is that to you and I? It's because we should be walking in the authority that Samson's walking in, but he's abusing the authority he has, but we're too afraid to stand up and fight against things in our own countries because we don't realize that we control the city gates, but we're letting the enemy control us by the gates that we should be controlling. But we're too cowardly. We walk in cowardice. I read a quote to our staff the other day from Euthycides, who said, the quote is, how not to butcher it, but it, says, it basically says this, when you separate your scholars from your warriors, your thinkers are cowards, and your fighters are fools. Think about that. When you separate your scholars from its warriors, your thinkers are cowards, and your fighters are fools. You look at the laws in place today that protect human traffickers. Those laws are put into place by cowards, cowardly men. There's no place for them in government. 
yet we allow them to be because we don't watch no fierce. As long as it doesn't affect me, as long as I get mine. We go out and we send dudes that shouldn't be fighting to fight. Some of the generals that are leading the United States military today are fools. And they are there because cowardly men put them into position. Think about it. I mean, it's humbling, but it's true. And so their thinking is, let's appease. Can, that song, I share, share it with you guys all the time because it fits with this. That song that was so popular last year, which I still love, like, David killed his lions and he killed his bears. Now down is going to come Goliath. And the, the, the video that I love so much that my daughter made me, you know, fall Goliath, fall, fall Goliath. Right? We, these fighters. But here's the deal. What we've done in our churches and what we've done in the world, and we've emasculated men and we've domesticated Jesus. The issue is Jesus is not domesticated. We just think he is because he's supposed to be marching in us, but we've domesticated ourselves and we're blaming Jesus for it. Instead of killing the lion, what did David do when the lion came to take the sheep? He killed the lion. And he got scarred. He got scratched up. You don't fight a lion and not get scratched. And you don't fight a bear without getting bit. But what did David do? The Bible says it. It's not politically correct. What did he do? He shredded it. It says the lion, he took the lion and took the jaws of the lion and ripped it apart by its mouth. So he had to physically put his hands in the mouth of evil and rip it apart. He got bit. The bear, he killed the bear. And so when Goliath came, he stood on the battlefield with the giant, and he said, how dare you mock my God? Today I will feed you to the birds of the air and the dogs of this earth. You will die today, cat. You are going to die today. Yet in our world, we've tamed the lion and tamed the bear. And now a lot of men, men and women, Goliath's knocking on the door and Goliath will not negotiate. But you don't know how to kill Goliath because you don't know how to kill the lion and the bear. And so you approach the giants of your life like you can tame him, like you can appease him. But appeasement is only by him taking more from you. There is no appeasement. It's you surrendering more and more and more and more freedom to pornography, to alcoholism, to sexual stuff, to power, to cash. And then you wonder why you can't beat the giant. I propose to you that go back and kill the lion and the bear first. Figure out what that thing is. And you're not alone in it. You just got to ask some guys. We need a brotherhood. And ladies, you can have your sisterhood, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a lady in this room, do not fight against the brotherhood. It's God's plan to put a father in the home so that a woman can be on a pedestal and be that Proverbs 31 woman who can buy and sell and travel globally. It's not a, she's not dominated by her man. She's given freedom by her man. Jesus Christ is our groom. All of us in this room are the bride. He is saying, by my love and affection for you and my protection for you, you as my bride can go by and do whatever you want to do. But you won't do it because you're a coward and you're afraid of the enemy. You're afraid to fail. 
You ask for miracles, but you won't get off the couch. You live vicariously through others who are doing it. Dudes, on the hands team, how many men said they were going to come that didn't come? But they'll live vicariously through what you do, the risks that you take, the money that you'll never get back, but it's being sown ahead in heaven. Think about it. Now, I'm not bagging on them, but I'm just telling you. There's a brotherhood here, and the men need to start holding men accountable and getting in the fight. If you're not in the fight, you're wrong. In 3,400 years of history, dated back by, I forget the historian's name, forgive me, but in 3,400 years of dated history, it's the mechanic calling me. So good, dude. Church day, right? In 3,400 years of history, this historian said that earth has only seen a combined 286 years without war. It's not consecutive. 3,400 years of human history that, we, that he dated back, only 286 years did not see war. We were born into a world at war, and Satan wants you to believe that it's all rainbows and butterflies. The Bible right here is showing us it's not rainbows and butterflies, and not even in the days of Judges. There was war, and there will always be opposition to God. And if you are on God's team, get ready for people to wait at the gates to intimidate you and try to kill you. You have two choices, to hide with the prostitute or get up and go shake the city gates and make a statement. And you make a statement with your life. Dude, the issues with gang violence with young men, the issues with human trafficking, the issues with domesticated violence is all because men don't know how to be men. They're little girls and they get their advice from cowards. The brotherhood's important. There's a brotherhood that's needed to be able to say, yo, you get together with dudes and you say, hey, the other day I saw you in the parking lot with your wife and you were kind of raising your tone with her in public. By God, if you raise your voice with her in public like that, what do you do behind closed doors? Pal, I'm going to tell you, I'm the first to kick your ass. That's what the brotherhood does. And it allows a brother to say, you're right. You're right. And then it allows me to say, what's going on? What's happening in your life, brother? I'm losing my job, and I don't know how to tell my wife, and she keeps asking for more and more. All right, let's figure this out. That's what the brotherhood does. But if you isolate yourself, what, is it, what does a wolf like to do? How do wolves hunt? They hunt, they hunt in packs, but who do, they who do they go after? The one who isolates itself, not the weak, the one who isolates itself. What do lions do when they hunt? They separate the vulnerable one, and they attack the vulnerable one. You wonder why so many dudes are getting taken out? It's because you think you're a man and you can do it all by yourself and you can lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You bought into the lie of the enemy. Jesus never said, lift yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus said, come to me and I will lift you up. I am the lifter of your chin. I am the one who will pick you up. Samson goes in and what this picture here is for us is that God's saying to us in Riverside, in Belize, in America, you own the gate. 
But Lord, it's going to cost me. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. But I would rather bear the scars. That day, listen, real quick, I'm kind of off subject, but I think it's just, okay, it's just here, it's flowing. So here we go. I would rather bear the scars of Benaiah and sit in the courts with David because he called me to sit in those day in, in with him because I bear the same scars that he bore. Benaiah fought a lion in a dark in a cave, and so he was scratched. He fought and killed two champions of Moab. He understand the battlefield, and it says that he wrestled a giant, a seven-footer, and beat the dude to death with his own club. And at the end of his days, at the end of that time of the 30, David went to Benaiah and said, I need you to be the chief of my bodyguard. Now to understand it histor historically, you need to understand, David was not a weakling. David was a champion himself. All of David's 30 are champions. Champions means you killed between 50 to 100 men in a single day of battle by hand. David was a champion. Benaiah was a champion. David does not need the chief of bodyguards. If you break into the palace, David will kill you. But David goes to, to Benaiah, and then also on his deathbed, says to, to uh, Solomon, the most trusted person you have in this kingdom is Benaiah. Send Benaiah after that ruthless thug of a general that we have. He's the one. Because Benaiah has never sought to seek the throne. Benaiah's passion is to serve the one who sits on the throne. But how he picked him, I believe, is he picked Benaiah because Benaiah bore the same scars he bore. Paul said the same thing. I bear the lashes that Jesus bore. I would rather take the beatings, be bent up as a human being, fighting the good fight with Christ, to sit in the halls with the brotherhood of those who bear the scars of Christ than to sit on the side and live vicariously through those who do. It's, hip it's hypocritical and you feel fake. And the more that you do it, the more the enemy beats you up. The more he says, you're a coward. You don't even try it now. You're past your prime. No, get up and kill the lion and kill the bear. That's how you do it. It's time for men to rise up and lead their families that way so their wives and their children will have. Listen, you may not, you, listen, dudes, it's your responsibility to create a Proverbs 31 in your daughters. It is your responsibility to create a Proverbs 31 daughter so that she can find a Proverbs 30 man, so she can find a Proverbs man to take care of her. Am I beating you up? Am I too mean to you this morning, dudes? Create the environment so that your daughter raises up, and she is that daughter, so that when she looks at a guy that's not a Proverbs guy, she goes, fool, you'll never have my hand in marriage. Why? Because I know from my father, even a man filled with mistakes, I walk an environment that you can never, ever give me. I'll wait for the one who will give it to me. I'll save my purity for him. I won't give it away to a fool. All right, back to the word. <laughs> Some days later, he fell in love with the woman in the valley of Sorak, of grapes. So you know there was, a, there was a lot of wine going on right there, baby. You know what I'm saying? And her name was Delilah. Oh, my gosh. Delilah and Jezebel. I apologize if you've been named one of those names. 
I like to have my, my daughter Jezebel. Like, oh, man, we need to break that off, boys and girls. But here's go Delilah. Delilah is synonymous with this, right? Samson and Delilah. Movies are made about it every day. About the guy who has all the potential of the world that falls in love with a whore. You know who Samson is right now in the story? It's me. And the whore is the world. It's a warning to say, John, don't fall in love with the one who entices you with self-gratification. You can say the same about you guys. That's the picture. The Bible is so brilliantly written that there's so many, you just look at it and go, oh my gosh, like, as I'm reading this, I go through it and I go, Lord, forgive me for being Samson. Forgive me for being enticed by Delilah. Yesterday was a picture of that. The Lord's going, you think you're that important. That you need to be somewhere. You're being enticed by Delilah. Hey, the surveillance plane's taking pictures of us. The Philistine tyrants approached her and said, tyrants, get it? The tyrants approached her and said to, they said, seduce him. Seduce him. Delilah, you're a whore. Go seduce him. Whatever means possible. If I look at it for me, is it power? Is it money? Is it fear? of not being able, is it not being a man? Is it, I don't know, can I not take care of my family? I don't know what the seducing is, but Satan uses Delilah's all the time. Sometimes it isn't a woman. And you women, you better ask God not to be the Delilah. If you see a married man, you leave him alone. Don't be dressing differently for him. You let it be. Because you may get what you're asking for, and you won't like it. Okay? A warning there. <clears throat> I'm preaching angry today, as what are you saying? Dad, you're preaching angry today. So, <laughs> seduce him. Discover what's behind his great strength and how we can tie him up and humble him. Each man's company will give you a hundred shekels of silver. <clears throat> Here's the issue with the enemy and those who follow the enemy. They're always looking in the wrong spot. They always think that the strength and everything comes by the works of our hands. They don't understand that Samson's strength is in God himself. So they find out what it is. You fools know what it is, but you refuse to accept the one. You've seen the evidence of it. You've seen it every cycle of 12 to 40 years. You see it as Philistines that God raises up himself in a judge and crushes you, just crushes your evil. Shamgar killed 600 men with a sharp, pointy stick. He just crushes you. You got all your armor and your shields, and he's walking around with a stick. Hey, eh, you want some more of this? Bam, bring the rest of them, three at a time. Going to go for four. Who's got four? Freaking Samson takes a jawbone of a donkey and kills 300 dudes. Just beats them to death. It's not pretty. It was savage. I like that. 
Sometimes God calls men and women to be savage. If that doesn't sit well with you, we can talk. But it's biblical. Our society doesn't want savages for Christ. They're afraid of savages for Christ. Because savages don't negotiate. We take what's rightfully ours, like city gates. Okay? So Delilah said to Samson, tell me, dear, the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and humbled. Dude, the enemy will tell you exactly what he's trying to do to you. But if you're so blinded by the Delilah, because Delilah's the stupid button that floats by and you push. How many people here in this room have pushed the stupid button? That thing goes floating by. It takes all that you have not to push it, right? It's like, push me. And stupid. It's like, I wonder what stupid. Okay, what kind of stupid is going to happen? And we push it, right? It's like, don't do that. Spirit of stupid's unleashed on you. Golly. There's a warning here. Samson's like, she tells Samson, tell me your strength so that we can tie you up and humble you. What? If a chick said that, if Lisa said, tell me your strength so I can tie you up and humble me, I'm going to say, is, are we t- like, how, is this like a cool husband-wife thing? Or is this, hey, what kind of side of you? You see what I'm saying? Don't hit the stupid button. The enemy will tell you what he wants to do to you, and all of you know it. If you've ever stumbled, which we all have, you can look back at it and go, you know what, I had warning shots fired. I knew exactly what the enemy, the enemy played his cards and I didn't listen. That's why it's so important for us to keep our eyes on Jesus, constantly on Jesus, saying, Jesus, I need your strength. Guide me, Holy Ghost, guide me, Holy Ghost, guide me, Holy Ghost. I need to see how you see. I need to know. The the plans of the enemy are present before me, but I don't understand the plans. But I don't really care about their plans, Lord. I need your plans to thwart the plans of the enemy. Show to me and give me battle plans. People will ask me sometimes, how did you know to go there? I didn't know. I listened. God said to go. I had a very important meeting one time. It was was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon here, and the Lord told me, get in your car and drive to the city, and you need to go meet this very influential person. I'm like, one o'clock, one, two, three. There's no way I'm going to get there on time. These dudes are going to be out of office and at home. It's a military thing. There is no way, Lord. And the Lord said, go. So I just put my uniform on, packed up myself. Lisa goes, where are you going? I'm going, I'm going to the city. She's like, okay. Obviously, you don't want to go. No, I don't want to go. Wear this monkey suit. I get there, past five, go to the guard gate. I say, I'm checking in. Hey, how's it going? I drive in. I, I'm a Lord, I'm, I'm still arguing with God. Lord, not here. Go inside HQ. I walk inside HQ. I go, there's no one in the office. I knock on the door. He answers the door. And he goes, Pastor John, I'm so glad you're here. I was hoping that you would come by today. And we spoke for over an hour about personal things in his life. 
I don't know the plans, so I pray, God, show me your plans to thwart the plans of the enemy. And then be willing to listen and do. It's how we fight the enemy. And sometimes it's crazy. Sometimes it's crazy, and we tell stories. Samson told her, if you were to tie me up with seven bowstrings, the kind made from fresh animal tendons, not dried out, then I would become weak, just like anyone else. Dude's got a sense of humor. He's like playing with her. The Philistine tyrants brought her seven bowstrings, not dried out, and she tied, up, she tied him up with them. The men were waiting in ambush in her room. Then she said, the Philistines are, are on you, Samson. He snapped the cords as though they were mere threads. The secret of his strength was still a secret. Now I want you to show something. I'm just supposing this. Again, I'm not making a doctrine out of it. But God, Satan is an imitator. He's fake. So what does the number of seven represent in the Bible? The number of completion. So seven bowstrings, if you tie me up, you'll be complete. The plans of the enemy are supposedly complete here. Except when the plans of the enemy, the fake of seven, what happens when the power of God comes on you? It's actually not complete. Only God's plans are complete. The enemy, listen, for everyone in this room, in your life, whatever you're struggling, the enemy gets a vote. The enemy always gets a vote. We're duped into thinking the enemy doesn't get a vote because you went to church and you're praying. No, you're praying and you went to church, but the enemy still gets a vote in your life. He's going to attack your family. He's going to attack your kids. He's going to attack your job. He's going to attack whatever. He gets a vote, but God gets the final word. That is, yes, worthy of applause. God gets the final word. God's the one that shreds the plans of the enemy. Not you and I. He wants us to participate in it. Right here, Samson should have said, are you serious? But that stupid button loaded by again. Ego. What's the number one cause of death of man? Ego. Ego's killing Samson. Watch this. Delilah said, to him, said, come Samson, you're playing with me, making up stories. Be serious. Tell me how, he, how, he, um, how you can be tied up. He told her, if you were to tie me up, tight in new ropes, ropes never used for work, then I would be helpless just like anyone else. So Delilah did it. She gets him tied up. The Philistines are on you. Samson, the men are hidden in the next room. He snapped the ropes with his arms like threads. Delilah says, Samson, you're still playing with me, teasing me with lies. Tell me how you can be tied up. Now, here's the deal. Isn't, it, isn't that Satan right there? You're teasing me with lies. John eight forty four. Jesus called Satan what? The father of lies. Takes one to know one. It's right here. You can't make this up. God wants us to read between the lines. So he sa she says it. She's using the same old stuff. He says, if you braid seven braids of my hair into fabric. Notice number seven. It's unique to this. Okay? If you, if you tie it up, seven braids, and wove them into the fabric on the loom and drew it tight, then... Uh, then she said, the Philistines are on you, Samson. He woke up from his sleep, ripped loose from both the loom and the fabric. She said, how can, I, how can you say I love you when you won't even trust me? Three times you've been toyed with like a cat with a mouse, refusing to tell me the secret of your great strength. Right? The enemy will nag you. I thought you loved me. 
thought you loved this job. No. I love the God who allows me to do this job. This job is what I do. It's not who I am. Being a missionary, a pastor guy, it's what I do. Who I am is a child of God. You've got to set that identity correct first. Your identity doesn't come in what you do. That's the greatest failure that Satan will use on you. He'll use that all day on men and women. He will hammer you with that. This is what I am. We've all met people like that. You know how you meet guys like that? I can say in the group of pastors, challenge, like for me, I watched it for years and I see it, like, but picking on a pastor, if a guy's identity is wrapped up in his job as a pastor, if you challenge what he taught, he'll become defensive because you're not a challenging what he's thinking, you're challenging his identity. And so he, he'll let his ego come in and defend even false doctrine. I ain't, I ain't lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. It's crazy. How many times as men and women have we been in a room where that has taken place and we start defending something we don't even really believe in, but because our ego's in the way, we are near death just like Samson. I love you. You don't love me back. Here it comes. Nagging him and tormenting him. Finally, he was fed up. He couldn't take it a minute of it, and so he spilled it. He was just like, golly. Well, he's where he shouldn't be in the first place. He's sleeping with this chick. He's, he's in a bad spot. He's stuck in it, and so he just, he's playing marriage here. He's playing marriage, and she's nagging him. Nag, nag, nag. I, I could go so many places, but the women would stand up and kill me. But anyhow, I won't go there. Even Lisa's laughing at that. She's like, yeah, man, we will claw your eyes from your skull. You want to see savagery? That's what the women are thinking. We'll show you savage. He told her, a razor has never touched my head. I've been God's Nazarite from conception. If I were shaved, my strength would leave me. I would be helpless as any other mortal. He's complicit with this. He knew from the moment he could understand that his mother and father made a vow with God, the Nazarite vow. Now, if you take, Paul took the Nazarite vow. It's for a period of time. You let your hair grow. But as you break that vow with God, you shave your head bald. That's the final complaint. I won't go into detail. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But he had taken this vow, and he knew he took the vow, and he knew the strength was in the vow. The strength was in the Holy Ghost. The strength was in the razor, the hair, right? The Bible tells us this. But it was the vow that he, even though he kept failing and failing and failing, he hadn't broken the vow. Our vows are very important, okay? And so this is what happened. He broke the vow to God, not to the Nazarite vow. It's not that he failed the Nazarite vow. He broke the vow with God. It's not like breaking a diet. Oh, I ate what I shouldn't have ate today. I broke my vow. No, it's much more serious. When you have an affair, you are not only breaking the vow that you've taken with your spouse, 
but you're breaking the vow with God, who, which the covenant, all strength of the covenant and the power of the covenant. That's why the marriage is so powerful. Have you ever heard the statement, they're a power couple? I laugh at that when people go, man, you and Lisa are a power couple. I'm thinking, so are you. The same power that's in us is in you. If you believe in Jesus, we're the power couple. It's the vow. The vow is in God. It's not in us. We're just agreeing to the vow. The strength is it. But if I break the vow and I break the covenant, I'm shaving my head. Crazy, right? It's nutso. So he tells her, this is what happened. When Delilah realized that he, what he had told the secret, he, she sent for the Philistine tyrants, telling him, come quickly, it's time he's told me the truth. They came bringing the bribe money. Damn whore. Someone's bribing you for anything. What we know from the Bible is every time someone receives a bribe, it ends your money is going to be spent in buying the place they bury you. You read the Bible. The Philistines grabbed him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. They shackled him in irons and put him to work of the grinding in the prison. Put his hair, through, uh, though his hair cut off, began to grow again. The Philistine tyrants got together to offer a, a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. All right, so here we come, man. This is the, the climactic. I wish they would actually make a real movie with this. His hair's growing. But they're pissing God off. Because God's going, that's my son. And you gouged out his eyes. And you took his hair. But one thing you forgot about me is the God and the giver of life is I'm constantly creating. And there's growth in Samson here. His hair now is a representation of his spiritual growth, I believe. Because he realized he was able at this point to check his ego. But it took everything for him to check his ego. But God didn't stop growing. So the hair is a picture of spiritual growth, I believe. So now this tyrant, they're going to offer this great sacrifice of how they've defeated God. Because what they have forgotten is Samson's not God. Samson's strength came from God. They think Samson is a god because they worship man-like gods that can be defeated by human hands. The Bible tells us that God laughs at the plans of the nations. He laughs at us. We will create and clone people. God's like, awesome, this is going to be good. We have, you know what, how I know we haven't cloned people and how I know it's going to the end of days? It's because we figured out, scientists, that we can't clone people because we can't give them a soul. And clone things can't think for themselves and they can't grow. So you know what we're doing? We're cloning robots. Those things can think. Why? Because they're taught by cowards how to think. AI? Dude, Sam, not conspiracy, I'm just telling you. It is Terminator happening in real life. If you grew up in the 80s, you went, man, I hope that never happens. Now I'm at the point where I'm going, whoa. I've sat through different things and have actually seen, have you seen, I've actually seen live the robot dogs, the pack mules. Now they mount weapons on those things. Those things can run across ice, fall down, flip over. They can jump back up. They have a 360 degree view of everything with rotating weapons on them. They were supposed to be just to carry the wounded and supplies. Now they're weapons. Those things, are just they just go and go and go. And the person that's running it, that drone, can sit there and see everything on the battlefield. 
Everything. Dude, we're making flying drones now that can open doors, break windows. You can beat them with baseball bats. They'll go on the ground. They have turtle mode. They'll hit the ground, act like it's dead. The operator from a mile or two miles away flips it into turtle mode. It flips itself back up and takes off again. We're creating what we want to create because we can't create like God. And instead of taking that creation, you see what I'm saying? Taking the creative ability and creating things for the kingdom, we're doing it to create our own kingdoms. It's scary. It's mankind. Our God has given us Samson, our enemy. Our God. And when the people saw him, they joined in cheering their God. Yay, Dagon! You're just like nothing. Our God has given us our enemy to us, the one who ravaged our country, piling high the corpses among us. Then this, everyone was feeling high, and someone said, Get Samson! Let him show us his stuff! They're all assembled in one location. And the good idea fairy showed up. Go get Samson! Right? Golly. They got Samson from the prison and put him on a show for them. They had him standing between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who was acting as his guide, Put me where I can touch the pillars that hold up the temple so I can rest against them. The building was packed with men and women, including all the Philistine tyrants, and there were at least 300 in the stands watching Samson's performance. Now watch, this is what happens when we're intended to be doing for God, but we don't. It's trippy. It's this picture here. So Herod imprisoned John the Baptist, but summoned Jesus to do what? Before him. To come perform miracles. To entertain them. Samson is brought before, Satan doesn't ruin it, doesn't change his tactics. They take this man of God before the people and they have him doing tricks of strength. Now they're so blinded by their depravity that they've forgotten that his hair has grown back. So I can only imagine he's probably taking rocks. They're so stupid and blinded by they, what they should do is go up there and start cutting his hair, right? But they're entertained. Are you not entertained? The building was packed, including all the Philistine tyrants, and there were at least 3,000 in the stands watching Samson's performance. Guys, Samson cried out to God. He said, Master God, here's how we know he's checked his ego. Master God, oh please, look on me again. No longer does he say I'm the strongest guy in the world. He says, oh God, please look on me again. You once had your eyes on me, God. Look on me again, please. Give me strength yet one more time. Just once. I just need it one time, God. God, with one avenging blow, let me be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. This is significant. Jesus did not sin, right? Jesus became sin for us. Samson is this type of Savior that we see where he became this sinful man, sin for us. Now watch. Sin took Samson's eyes. But he cries out, God, let me take them, evil, for the eyes I no longer have. And here's what's Jesus. 
But by the power of God, God restores blind eyes to eyes that see. Though we're spiritually dead, we will see life again when we crush the evil around us. It is, you can't make this stuff up. How is Jesus and Samson? It is the gospel story right there. Every chapter of the Bible is about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. Then Samson reached out to the two central pillars and held up the building and pushed against them, one with his right arm, the other with his left, saying, let me die with the Philistines. Let me die with them, Lord. I'd rather die with them and be in your presence than to die without you and party amongst them. God's crazy spiritual growth. Some of us need to do that. Lord, I would rather fight in the midst of my enemies for the kingdom of heaven and sit with the halls of faith with all the heroes that I've read about, your people, and dine at your table than to live in the comfort of this earth and die a coward. He says, Samson pushed hard with all of his might. This brings tears to my eyes. It's like, you, you, if you really look at this, this is a man giving himself for a nation. It's insane. It just, it crushes me. He's like, for a nation. God, I failed you once, but I will not. With my life, I will, I will not fail you again. And he just shoves it. He killed more people in the death than had killed in his life. It's a picture of the restoration of God. It's God will kill the evil in your life, but you must die to self to be raised again. It's a picture of the restoration. His brothers and all his relatives went down to get his body. They carried him back and buried him in the tomb of Manoah, his father, between Zorah and Eshtal. He judged Israel for 20 years. Dude, story of Samson, hopefully like you've never heard. Dude, I cannot tell you as I stand up here that you go with the Lord and ask it, what lions, what bears have I tamed? Because I know there's a Goliath coming. And he may already be here. And Lord, I need to take him down. My family's counting on him. In the song that I love that my daughter made, there's the verbiage on it. It says, I don't fight for what's before me. I fight for what's behind me. As a man, I fight. Jesus didn't fight for what was before him. He fought for all of us behind him. Lord, may I be the forefront for the kingdom. May I be the one that follows you into battle, Yahweh. You are the king. Jesus is not my hero. Benaiah is my hero. Jesus is my savior and my king. It's vastly different. He is my Lord. You see what I'm saying? He's not my hero. He's above hero status. 
He is God status. And his name is Yahweh. Amen? Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all that you do in our lives and, and that's happening this week. We pray over the hands team and everything that's happening, Lord. You just crush evil, continue to crush evil. We love you, Jesus. You are amazing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.